Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Marble Palace, Saskatchewan Post Media's look at the goings on in the Saskatchewan Legislature this week. I'm Murray Mandrick, political columnist for the Leader Post and Star Phoenix. Joining me, as always, Arthur White Crummy, our legislative reporter, and from the Star Phoenix, Phil Tank. Thank you so much for joining us, Phil. Phil exhaustively covers. COVID for us and the Star Phoenix and is a great go-to guy in terms of telling us a lot of things related to the numbers, which I hope to get into real quickly. But let's start with the legislature, Arthur, because a couple interesting things that we're seeing, I think, in terms of the development of question period. Uh, I guess to no surprise, we're seeing a very constant attack from the NDP opposition and Ryan Miley is leader uh, uh, leading that attack on the very issues I think that were coming up during uh, the non-session period. Maybe a little bit more surprising is when you look at the uh, second most active questioner, because it's a tie, I believe, with Nadine Wilson, an independent member tied with a couple uh, uh, opposition NDP members that got a few questions in. But let's start with Miley and his tone. Uh, it was hardly apologetic, and he went right after uh, Paul Merriman, you observed, uh, in in quite a direct way, calling him incompetent. Uh, is, is it a different Miley tone in, in, in your your view and and what do you think he's trying to establish in his line of questioning so far that you've seen yeah well the tone has been for the most part fairly prosecutorial and i know that's exactly what they've been going for it was something that had been mentioned in the lead up for this session as a priority for them to sort of prosecute the you know government's COVID-19 record. They've been dissecting it, going over decisions that have been made throughout the fourth wave, asking why Scott Moe waited to ask for federal assistance, asking for specific uh, numbers in terms of people that have died while awaiting surgery or kids that aren't getting proper supports. So very specific pointed questions to which they're generally not getting specific answers. Uh, and uh, when they when they didn't yesterday, that did provoke a rather combative response uh, that, uh, you know, some people have said Ryan Miley is not that tough. He got a little bit tough yesterday where he um, essentially, as you said, called uh, uh, the health minister incompetent. He actually went further than that. He called him an emblem of failure and a mountain of incompetence. Just kind of a mixed metaphor, but I mean, it it it, it gets the point across. Uh, and the point, uh, as Miley told us later, was that he thinks that the health minister should resign. Not a new call from the NDP, uh, but something that they underlined uh, very strongly, I guess, during question period. Scott Moe, the premier, obviously stood up and defended his health minister, uh, said he's been, you know, answering questions throughout the pandemic. And um, when we asked... Uh, the health minister about it uh, afterwards he said well that's just politics so uh i think we'll be seeing uh, more of these kinds of exchanges going forward as the session uh continues and what was inter interesting to me in not only the exchange but how she arrived in the legislature is nadine wilson uh it took a vote i guess to basically decide that she doesn't need to show vaccination proof, just a proof of a negative COVID test, uh, which was of considerable controversy. And she got to ask her first uh, couple questions that drew an interesting reaction from both sides of the assembly, I think. Let, let's start uh, explaining to the people how she's got 
there, the whole issue related to uh, to uh, vaccinations, because it is policy in the Saskatchewan legislature that everybody be checked for uh, COVID tests. So I have to go through a QR code. You guys have to go through a QR code. Everybody there does. Uh, and she doesn't uh, have one, as we've seen her observed uh, going through that, but she's still allowed in. How, how did all this all come about, Arthur? Yes, so there was a debate over house rules uh, and uh, the position of the government caucus was that uh, they, they uh, there should be two options, right? You should have the option of presenting proof of vaccine or the option of presenting a negative test within the the last 72 hours, which is more or less in keeping with uh, rules elsewhere in government. Uh, the NDP, though, tried to amend that with their own motion, striking out the option of having a negative test. They said, we're legislature, like we, we, we're MLAs, we should be setting the example for the rest of the province. This is about science-based public health. But the the uh, House leader for the government came back with his own uh, very strong argument saying this would set a terrible precedent if the you know majority of members could just get together and uh, ban ban a sitting member who's there to represent constituents on the basis of a difference in policy. So it was an interesting debate, a lot of uh, philosophical nuances there, but uh, it, it turned a little bit comical towards the end because uh, uh, from where we were sitting within the press gallery, when everybody stood up to vote, it really looked like Nadine Wilson was standing to vote with the NDP against her own presence in the chamber. Uh, it, it turned out when we asked her afterwards that she was only rising to uh, raise a point of order. Uh, so, but but it was kind of a strange thing to see from where we were perched. Now, she she did finally have the opportunity to ask two questions. Uh, on Tuesday during question period, uh, they focus on the on the uh, on uh, two sort of related matters. The first was why didn't the government uh, uh, increase capacity within the health system instead of restricting people's freedoms through public health measures? Uh, the second one, though, got a little bit more audible reaction from 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 both sides of the chamber. She was asking about treatments that have been denied to Saskatchewan people, even though in her view, they've been proven to work or shown to work or something elsewhere. Um, she didn't name specifics, and I'll leave it uh, to the listeners or perhaps to yourself, Murray, if you want to go back out more on a limb and make some assumptions about what she was referring to. Uh, I don't know if she was referring to horse dewormer. I truly do not. You so. don't. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> I not saying don't. anything. But, uh, I don't know what she was referring to, though. That's, that, that is, the, in essence, the problem, though, is that is that we kind of still don't know what the hell she's saying in terms of, of her positioning, which I think is a little problem. I think yeah, I agree. Uh, but so, yeah. uh, <laughs> the, the, it's it's good to be clear when you're uh, making statements about medical treatments. I think, uh, but uh, the 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 most interesting part of that was just the reaction from Ryan Miley, who looked like he was in a state of embarrassment or disbelief about even being in the presence of such a question. Obviously, he's a medical doctor and has a very strong views about. Uh, about uh, which treatments are backed up by the science. So uh, he, watching him react to that was, I think, the most uh, interesting part of that exchange. <laughs> it truly was. Phil, I want you to pick up on, on, on what Arthur was talking about, about people elsewhere proposing other ideas and perhaps the government limiting it. Because I, I think that was the framing of the whole issue related to what uh, 
Saskatoon City Council wanted to do and what was unable to do because of government involvement. But I don't think people kind of fully understand how that came about and why Saskatoon and other municipalities just can't do what they want to do. So can you walk us through that real quickly and maybe a little bit about the debate itself? Because it it actually is very interesting in terms of how it directly affects uh, government policy and I think general government direction in, in terms of how far it's willing to go and how much it's willing to control uh, issues related to uh, uh, COVID-19 vaccinations, et cetera. Tell, begin, I guess, with the debate in council and maybe what Mayor Clark and others were trying to to achieve. Well, I think I think what happened, uh, you know, in the summer, uh, uh, Health Minister Paul Merriman said, you know, uh, you know, our restrictions are gone, but we'll consider imposing restrictions if we hear from a medical health officer. Well, we know that the northern half of the province, those medical health officers asked for, you know, restrictions in July. And I'm not sure if they ever still have got a response. They certainly didn't get what they were wanting, wanting at the time until mid-September when the province finally set a reverse course on like masks and uh, uh, proof of vaccination. Um, so this, I think, I think Saskatoon was viewed, or Saskatoon, the councillors who were behind this, there was a few that did not support it, um, were sort of saying, well, our medical health officer is, is recommending that, you know, we take these precautions because at the time our cases were really high here. Obviously, leaving the province for more than a month is concerning. When that happened in Regina in, in the spring, the government did impose uh, measures that were strictly you know, on Regina and area uh, communities. So I think some of the, uh, you know, I can't speak to what's going on in their minds. What they what they said was, uh, you know, that in the absence of action from the government, the provincial government, they were going to try to do something. I think that all kind of evaporated last on Friday when, you know, the debate seemed to go into, you know, a lot of the people who had supported it, the councillors, I think had heard from constituents, which it, I, I'm surprised how, you know, uh, um, upset some people got that they were even trying this like this is not your jurisdiction and at least that's the sense i got from them was that the people that actually contacted them and said you know why are you doing this and i'm not necessarily thinking it was people who were skeptical of covid 19 measures i think there would be an issue you know like i, I think the report said they'd have to bring in private security to enforce it that was always a question is how are they going to enforce these rules that they did so it's sort of really quickly uh, evaporated but the question is still out there you know, what can uh, municipalities do? So I think what they what council did vote for was uh, for the mayor to, and not every council voted for this, for the mayor to write to the province and for asking for clarity, what can we do? Like what 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 sort of things can we put in on, on our own base? We know that they can say with, with uh, facilities that they own, um, you know, here's, um, uh, you know, you have to have vaccination proof, you have to wear masks, they can impose, uh, that on, you know, recreation centers that they own. Uh, they generally don't, you know, there's three control, what they call control corporations here, including SaskTel Center, the largest indoor facility that are run by boards appointed by city council, but they did not impose any sort of uh, restrictions on, th on them. Uh, they arguably could have, uh, but the, as we saw, the Eric Church concert went on with 13,000 people uh, last month. So, uh, you know, with with vaccine proof requirement and masks. So that's sort of where I, I think there are still questions out there on what municipalities can do and what they can't. And I think there's questions in terms of how far the government does and 
doesn't want to go in terms of its current restrictions. And we're going to get into that in relation to the CMO letters. I'll, I'll bring Arthur into that conversation. And, and I'd like to ask you about that. But before I, I, I get there, you do some fantastic work in terms of just the numbers that I think people need to appreciate a little bit more. Uh, and because I think they pretty much explain why we are in the state we are and why we should be concerned about the state we are in. And that's specific to the death rate in this province. One of the reasons that, uh, that I think you can be really helpful here is we're still hearing a lot of people, or at least I am, uh, telling us, well, it's not so bad in Saskatchewan. We're still behind Manitoba. We're still behind uh, Quebec in terms of the number of per capita deaths. But what I found fascinating, and, and you've done a lot of work on this, is how quickly we've actually caught up to the front leaders in this province when the death rate at least used to be somewhat of a point of pride, whether even if we were having high caseloads, it wasn't getting into seniors' homes. We were sort of avoiding some of the first and, and second wave problems. Can you just quickly go through the numbers in terms of the last couple months, particularly the month of October, that was exceedingly bad in terms of death rates and how that has sort of somewhat changed the picture of what COVID-19 is in Saskatchewan uh, compared with maybe where it was a year ago or certainly where it was even during the summer before we were kind of hit with this fourth wave as hard as we were. Yeah, well, I, I believe in July, we, and this, you know, I started noticing in August when, when our deaths started going up. Um, you know, I believe in July we only had about 11 deaths or something like that, maybe, maybe even single digits, if you, you know, depending on how you're calculating them. Um, but yeah, I think what's notable with us, you know, very close to the Canadian average now in, in deaths per capita and, and in third place overall is that we did not have, you know, all due respect to, you know, the deaths we did have in, in long-term care homes, we did not have the devastating uh, uh, deaths in long-term care that they did in Manitoba and, and um uh, Quebec, and of course, Quebec has a fairly big uh, population, uh, more than eight million. So, of course, that's going to be reflected in in that's going to pull the Canadian average up. But you know, I can even remember the start of the pandemic when there was deaths going through uh, long term care homes in British Columbia, which was kind of the first signal that oh, this is serious. And uh, like we're we're well ahead of British Columbia too. We've passed Alberta, we passed Ontario, and as somebody who sort of watched these per capita throughout the pandemic, I'm you know I never thought we'd catch uh, and pass Ontario. I never thought we'd catch and pass uh, Alberta. But that's how bad you know the fourth uh, the fourth wave has been in terms of deaths. And we and we know that even though hospitalizations are going down now, like you know as a, as the uh, doctors will tell you, deaths follow about you know a, a month after you know, cases are diagnosed and, and maybe two weeks after people are hospitalized. So that's why we're still still seeing, you know, I think four or five deaths a day. Uh, yeah, it's really sad. And, and you know, I don't think you can deny that the government has not talked about it. They've, they've, they've virtually stopped discussing, you know, offering condolences to people who died. They just don't seem to want to acknowledge that uh, the deaths are happening and, and provide less information. If you're not well-versed in how to how to figure out where the deaths are and what age group they're in. Um, you know, if you're the average person going on the dashboard, you're just going to see a number, oh, five deaths today. And you're probably just going to assume, oh, it was five people over 80. Well, that's an interesting thing about Saskatchewan. Unlike the Canadian average, most of our deaths have been people under 80. Uh, about 55% are under 80. And in, in Canada, Canada, across Canada, it's about 65% who are 80 or over. So that's a distinction here, for the, especially for the people who say, oh, it's only old people on death's door. 
who are dying. Well, it clearly is not in Saskatchewan. And this is something that uh, the medical health officers are clearly observing. And I think it's one of the real driving forces on the most recent October 21st letter. They sent one, I believe, August uh, 26th, uh, when the fourth wave was just taking hold. Uh, warning of the, the need for uh, more measures in relation to uh, to stopping this fourth wave because of everything you're describing, Phil. Now, Arthur, in the legislature, I'll get you back into this in a moment, Phil, but I'll get Arthur to sort of describe the frame or at least frame the issue here. The premier has made a very distinct line or maybe not a distinct line and not depending on your perspective in terms of how far he is willing to go in terms of restrictions and however far he's willing to go it's not nearly as far as the medical health officers advised in that letter which would be limiting uh, personal gatherings and there's an interesting debate you and I actually occasionally have an interesting debate as to whether one should be allowed to restrict movement in one's home or who gathers in one's home and who doesn't but they, they wanted a 28-day lift on home gatherings they they certainly wanted something done in terms of schools uh, uh, as to whether kids could uh, go to school if they were vaccine eligible and weren't vaccinated this is where clearly the premier has drawn a line in the sand and this has become a considerable debate in the legislature. Walk us through that if you can, Arthur, in, in terms of where the government stands on this and uh, and where the, the debate is, and I guess maybe what the opposition are also saying about this. Yeah, so as you said, Murray, the letter from the health officers uh, came out uh, on October 21st, and it contained a, a fairly lengthy list of measures that they said were necessary to get the fourth wave under control. Uh, the one that got the most attention at the time were the gathering restrictions. Um, and, 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 and it has been shown that, that that has played a major role in uh, transmission of the virus. But they also talked about uh, uh, proof of vaccine requirements in schools and actually applying them to children, uh, children 12 and over who are eligible would be required to show proof of vaccination under that proposal. Those under 12, uh, they, they, they would have to show it for their parents or their household, right? So if their father or their mother wasn't vaccinated, they wouldn't be able to attend in-class learning. Uh, the NDP had never explicitly called for that measure. I actually once asked them about it during a press conference and they said, well, we're not calling for that today. Um, but uh, they did move a motion uh, calling on the government to implement all of the MHO recommendations in that letter. So that would imply support for the uh, for the proof of vaccine requirement for kids. Uh, Scott Moe uh, sees on that right away uh, the next day, I believe the next day, uh, saying that uh, the NDP was essentially supporting a policy uh, to pull thousands of kids out of school, to ban thousands of kids from going to school. Because as we know, uh, I believe uh, uh, quite a bit less than 80% of, of children between 12 and 17 are, are, are fully vaccinated. So that, that would be quite a large number. Um, the you know, NDP leader didn't really respond to that directly during debate. He just sort of let it 
pass. We pressed him on it during a scrum to try to figure out what the NDP position actually was in this regard. And it was pretty ambivalent. Uh, he didn't really uh, directly endorse uh, or uh, reject that policy. He just said it's something that, uh, you know, if he were in government, he would have to discuss with the medical health officers, work collaboratively uh, to toward it, which, which, which is different from what they called for in the motion, right? Uh, so it was a bit of a walk back. Uh, and he said further uh, that, that, that it was a controversial policy uh, to, to go in that direction. So uh, it, it, it seemed as though the premier might have kind of backed the NDP into an uncomfortable position uh, on that particular issue. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that they've done some research about whether uh, that's popular with the general public. Um, so... Uh, that uh, is something that the premier has been uh, raising at every opportunity during QP, even when it's only tangentially relevant to the debate. Yeah, absolutely. And and Bill, like it, it, it's, it, it touches on what you talked about in terms of the blowback you're getting, where the dividing lines are. And I think you've probably been on more of the calls related to the COVID briefings than, than me or just about almost anybody uh, in uh, relation to it. What are you feeling, hearing, seeing in relation to the public reaction, where they think the government is on course? We've obviously had that poll that Arthur did the story on last week, kind of suggesting that most of the public doesn't feel that they're on course anymore. Uh, but where do you see the dividing lines right now in the province on those particular issues? Is it in, in the steps of the schools? Is it in uh, public places? Uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time sensing right now uh, where that line is, but obviously given what Saskatoon Council uh, was has been doing, they've clearly suggested that uh, uh, more has to be done. And I think there's a substantial number of people in the public that agree. Yeah, uh, well, the first first point I'll make is about schools. I mean, right now there's like hundreds of outbreaks listed on the on the government websites. Almost, yeah, you know, well, I shouldn't say almost all of them, but clearly the majority is in schools. So th we do know that that's where the virus is being transmitted, at least according to the outbreak lists. I know their contact tracing and their and their uh, testing is not quite up to uh, quite as robust as it should be. It's funny. I've seen comments about the polls that suggest, you know, because of course we had one tack until mid-September and then we completely reversed whether people who oppose the government now are saying they've gone too far with masks and vaccine proof or whether they're people who, who still oppose them because they have not gone as far as the medical health officers want. So it's it's difficult to, to, to gauge that, you know, exactly where, uh, you know, where that where that lack of support is coming from or, or where that opposition is coming from. Is fascinating. I, I wish we actually had more time today to get into uh, every, everything that has happened in terms of the nuanced debate here that we're we're, we're seeing because it in some ways is uh, more nuanced than maybe it's expressed in political terms in the legislature and elsewhere. Sadly, that's all the time we have today for uh, Inside the Marble Palace. So I'm going to have to wrap it up here and thank Arthur, thank Phil for uh, participating. Great job as usual, guys, and 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 detailing this and. Hopefully we'll see you both sometime soon on Inside the Marble Palace.